You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Be prepared to dig a little deeper the next time you fill up. Experts believe gas prices are going even higher. And when they settle down, the new norm probably won't be very appealing either. Sarah McDonald joins us now with the cringeworthy details. Sarah, a number of factors are at play here. Chris, that's right. And cringeworthy uh, is right. Experts say there are some major factors at play here, largely geopolitics and supply. Once again, Metro Vancouver has earned that dubious distinction of having the highest gas prices in North America. Drivers over the weekend will have noticed prices at the pump creeping up well over $1.70 a litre. And experts say this could be just the beginning. There are multiple contributing factors at play here. The United States is introducing an embargo on Iranian oil, and that's on top of a general cutback on oil exports. Here in BC, two-thirds of our oil is imported, and we are seeing less output than usual from countries like Libya and Venezuela, among other refineries, and that means the West Coast is running tight on supply. The average price of gas across the province is sitting at just over $1.55 a litre, but you would not know it in Metro Vancouver, where we keep hitting new highs. At the moment, most pumps in Vancouver are sitting at nearly $1.73 a litre, and experts say the coming months could see us creeping closer and closer to that $2 mark. The good news is that the BP Cherry Point refinery appears to be finally back on its feet, churning out gasoline. But it comes at a time in which the U.S. is uh, su surprised, I think, many market uh, analysts by saying it will completely uh, prevent any waivers and will seal off Iranian oil as part of its Iran nuclear sanctions. So that means that uh, oil prices are on the rise and they're taking gasoline with them. The small business that I run, you know, we've got three or four pickup trucks and that's just going to be passed on to the customer, unfortunately. Uh, and that's like any other business, right? So everything's going to end up being more. It really sucks. Um, we've been, uh, we're on premium gas as well. And it's just, it's been a killer. $1.76 by midweek. But Sarah, we saw a picture today that indicates maybe a new record was already set today at a gas station in Delta. That's right, and that is a number that no driver wants to see. This is in Delta, as you said, where gas at one station is going for nearly $1.79 a litre this evening. Now, prices do fluctuate depending on where you are. If you're willing to drive out to the Fraser Valley, prices at the pump are at their lowest at Abbotsford tonight. Another tip from experts, Chris, is to fill up in the evening as prices typically dip at night before increasing once again before the morning rush. Or start walking. That's, that's going to be an increasingly viable option for a lot of people. Thanks very much, Sarah. I appreciate it. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria now. Keith, this once again heats up the pipeline debate because a lot of prices mm -hmm. or a lot of people say prices wouldn't be so high if we had greater pipeline capacity. Well, greater capacity means greater supply. As Sarah points out, it's all about supply and demand. So a lot of people are confused about the, what is being proposed for a second pipeline. What is being proposed is Alberta to uh, send bitumen or heavy crude through that second pipeline. That doesn't get turned into gasoline in Metro Vancouver. However, a lot of people don't know that right now bitumen goes through the existing Trans Mountain pipeline to the tune of 20% of capacity. You take that bitumen out, replace it with refined fuel from uh, Alberta. That means more gasoline comes to market, a greater supply prices go down as a result. We caught up with energy analyst Blair King, popular blogger, is a blog site a chemist in Langley, and he makes the point there's even a term of what we're facing. Here's Blair King. 
Right now in the Lower Mainland, we pay about a, we're paying about a 23 cents a litre scarcity premium because we just don't have enough supply. The pipeline, if it were expanded, would increase our supply and, give a, and eliminate that scarcity premium. So King puts the, the price here, Chris, at about 23 cents a litre uh, in savings. That would be offset somewhat by higher tolls to the tune of 2 to 4 cents a litre as new tolls are slapped on the new pipeline. Either way, it seems to be uh, resulting in lower gas prices in Metro Vancouver if that second pipeline is built. Because, again, it frees up more space in the existing pipeline to send refined fuel down into Metro Vancouver and thus increase the supply and drive down prices. And still a long way off, but we could get a decision June 18th, I guess, is the date. Is that right? Yeah, sometime in June we expect the federal government to weigh in whether it's a go or not. I'm betting it's going to get a green light. All right. Thank you very much, Keith. Keith Baldry and Victoria for us tonight. As predicted, long weekend ferry lineups happening in reverse tonight. And while thankfully it's not as bad as the chaos we saw on Friday at the Tawasin and Horseshoe Bay ferry terminals, travelers still need a little patience. Richard Zussman reports. It's a rite of passage for long weekend BC Ferries travellers. Long lines, long lines, and more long lines. Just stay calm, cool, collected. You know, it's the ferries. Make a rezzo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, rezzos. Rezzos, or reservations, are hard to come by for an Easter long weekend. At its peak, vehicles without them having a sailing weight from Victoria to Vancouver. But even with the delays, there was a sense of relief for most travelers who came following this. Friday was one of the worst days most people have experienced on BC ferries. In some cases, three or four sailing waits, coupled with a lack of staff that led to frustration and missed reservations. After Friday's debacle, BC ferries put on additional staff for Monday's return trip also advising those walking onto the ferry to show up 45 minutes in advance rather than the 15 or 20 minutes it normally takes. But again, give yourself a lot of extra time today. We generally tell our foot passengers about 45 minutes in advance of their anticipated sailing to arrive at the terminal, reservations 30 to 60 minutes. Michelle Testa traveling with her kids Asher and Jack. They were expecting the worst and ended up pleasantly surprised with their trip from Sawasin to Swartz Bay. We came really early because we anticipated it being its usual awful. <laughs> And uh, it wasn't so bad. But for travelers like Stacy McCullough, enough is enough. That the rest of the year we're not coming to the island. Like many ferry users that kicked off the weekend in chaos, she has some ideas on how to change things. I don't honestly know what the answer is unless there's another company that comes in that can take over the slack because it's it sometimes can be a pain in the ass. The Easter long weekend, just the start of the holiday summer crunch. May long weekend, Canada Day long weekend and August long weekend are all expected to be busy. And as they say around here, all of this is just the reality of life on the island. Richard Zussman, Global News, Swartz Bay. Well, we'll stay on the island for a moment because Canada's Green Party leader choosing Earth Day to tie the knot there. <laughs> Seems only fitting Elizabeth May would marry John Kidder on Earth Day. Kidder has deep roots in the Green Party, being a founder of the Provincial Greens. Interestingly, he's also the brother of late actress Margot Kidder. The couple exchanging vows and kisses at Christchurch Cathedral in Victoria. And keeping with the green theme, they had an eco-conscious wedding encouraging guests to arrive by bike, bus, train or ferry and renting a fleet of electric cars to get people around. 
Among those in attendance, MP Jody Wilson-Raybould, who didn't get into the details at the wedding, but confirms that she's had many conversations with Elizabeth May about running for the federal Greens. I've said I'm keeping my options open. I've had, uh, I've had several conversations with Elizabeth. Um, no decision's been made yet, and um, I'm here simply because I believe in love and I'm happy to celebrate with, uh, with the two of them. Well, the newlyweds will spend the next five days riding the rails, taking the train from the West Coast to Toronto. Kidder has also taken away May's Blackberry for the first time in years so she can at least attempt to completely disconnect. According to a new report on consumer debt, British Columbians are feeling significantly less optimistic about their financial futures than just a few months ago. The decline coming as interest rates first began to climb. Grace Key has more on the factors at play and how close many say they are to financial insolvency. If the thought of interest rates and getting stuck in debt is keeping you up at night, you're not alone. A new study shows British Columbians are significantly less optimistic about their financial future. I'm seeing people come into, in my daily practice, feeling a lot of financial pressure. And the number one cause of that is the cost of housing. So just how bad is it? Well, according to the latest MNP Consumer Debt Index, 39% of British Columbians say every month they're just $200 or less away from financial ruin. Half the people in the province believe they could be in financial trouble if interest rates go up. Because the Bank of Canada keeps raising interest rates, right? So, you know, five consecutive interest rate hikes. The lifestyle that we have around here is just so easy to just spend quite a bit. And I'm actually very lucky because I have disposable income. So I can't imagine what it must be like for families. Well, you have a big family like me. Uh, you know, housing is super expensive. Insurance, car insurance. Uh, you have a mortgage. Concerns haven't stopped British Columbians from borrowing. 43% say they have to take on more debt in the next 12 months to cover all living and family expenses. And many don't have a plan when it comes to paying back debt or even saving for the future. There's a lot of shame around carrying debt. And, and unfortunately, many people wait too long. But for those who aren't ready to come in and see a trustee, there's a wealth of information available online. You can start with a Google search on how to get out of debt, what's involved in bankruptcy or debt settlement. And as always, early intervention is the key. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver police are releasing an image of a suspect vehicle in the city's fourth homicide of the year. Take a look. It's a white Dodge Durango van with an older style roof rack. It was found torched about three hours after the shooting in Kitsilano last Tuesday night. Investigators believe the vehicle is connected to the death of 30-year-old Vancouver resident Manoj Kumar, who was found shot to death in a vehicle near 4th Avenue in Burrard. Police would like to hear from anyone who has a dash cam and was driving in the Kitsilano and Arbutus areas that night between 7.30 and 9.30 p.m. While police say the shooting appeared to be targeted, Kumar did not have any obvious connections to a criminal lifestyle. Hundreds turning out today to remember an accomplished free skier killed near Pemberton last week. My name is Dave Treadway. I'm a professional skier and full-time road tripper. Dave Treadway died after falling into a crevasse off Rhododendron Mountain. 14 search and rescue volunteers 
helped recover the 38-year-old's body, a challenging operation due to the ice and the 30-meter depth of the crevasse. Treadway was a well-known skier in the Pemberton area, documenting much of his life and adventures online in photos and videos. He leaves behind a wife and two young sons. With Dave, there's always a smile on his face. Um, he held so much love for the mountains, but also so much love for his family. He was a really family man, and, and that's something that resonates with me, being a dad of two kids. And, uh, you know, he, was, he had toned down the amount of risk that he was taking, and, and uh, you know, this was truly a freak accident. But first, finding a solution to one of Vancouver's most vexing traffic challenges. What to do when the viaducts come down? A community panel believes it's found the best new arterial route connecting East Vancouver with the massive new False Creek Flats development and downtown. Tanya Beja explains the advantages and disadvantages. It's a rite of passage for long weekend BC Ferries travelers. Long lines, long lines, and more long lines. Just stay calm, cool, collected. Obviously, that is the wrong report. We'll see if we can find the right one for you. In the meantime, our technical problems have been solved. And now back to that story about a major transportation challenge. A community panel is about to recommend what it believes is the best new arterial route connecting East Vancouver with the massive new False Creek Flats. And Tanya Beja has the details. For decades, residents of Prior Street have lived with commuters steps from their front doors. But a new recommendation could finally put the brakes on traffic through this neighbourhood. The people have spoken. A community panel studied four possible routes to connect East Vancouver with downtown once the viaducts are removed. The southernmost option of National Charles is recommended as the best option and will preserve Strathcona Park and community gardens. We were not prepared to sacrifice one square metre of park space. Uh, we had to protect it and the Parks Board made it very clear that to replace it is almost impossible. The presence of multiple rail lines and access to the new St. Paul's Hospital were just some of the factors the panel had to consider. They chose this route because it separates residents from the arterial traffic and that was a promise that the previous council made to the community is that the prior street would be downgraded. Pegged at a cost of up to $485 million, the route is also the most expensive. It would impact at least one business along Produce Row. The city's heavy urban search and rescue and fire training facilities would have to relocate. The route would also require a new overpass. Some of the drawbacks of this route is that it's a very long span to go over the train tracks, meaning it'll be expensive. The panel report will be presented to council this week with a final decision expected in the fall. Tanya Beja, Global News. Just over a week to go before the deadline to file your taxes. And if you're a procrastinator, you're definitely not alone. But our consumer reporter, Andrew, has some tips that could save you money. And it's some important advice no matter when you're filing, right? Mm. The first tip, Chris, file your taxes. <laughs> That's number one. Simple, right? Yeah. Okay, thanks for that. Tax experts also say there are some commonly overlooked tax deductions and tax credits you might not have considered. Professional dues, like a membership fee to a professional organization, can be deducted from your income tax filings. RRSPs tend to get overlooked sometimes, especially contributions for January and February of the current year. So, for example, for this year, you can claim RRSPs from March 
March 2018 to February 2019. First-time homeowners can apply for a $5,000 credit for the purchase of a qualifying home. For students, you'll want to get the T2202A form from an accredited post-secondary school to reduce your taxes. Now, if you don't use the credit, you can always carry it forward to future years or transfer it to your parents, grandparents, spouse, or common-law partner. Tax experts say the most important thing, though, is to file your taxes on time, even if you owe money and can't pay. So the penalties are based on the amount that you, it's a combination of things actually, it's, it's based on the amount of money that you owe outstanding. So let's say the, this penalty is 5%, so it's 5% of, if you owe 10 grand, it's going to be $500. But if you are a repeat offending late filer, then it can go up to 10% or, you know, up, up towards about 50%. Um, I've seen penalties on repeat offending late filers. So you always want to file on time whether you have the money or not. You can always work out payment plans with Canada Revenue. Um, it's just, I strongly suggest you, you file on time. The Canada Revenue Agency also has some last-minute filing tips on its website. If you need help and have a modest income, there are volunteers at a free tax clinic that may be able to help you. That information can also be found on the CRA site. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's all my information. You can always email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Timely tips once again. Okay, thanks very much, Anne. Tonight's recipient of the Courage to Come Back Award endured horrifying abuse as a child. The pain of that abuse led Jerry Bemister down a path of addiction that almost killed her. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, this proud First Nations woman turned her life around and now dedicates much of her life to helping others recover too. <laughs> Jerry Bemister is grateful for the life she has now. Clean and sober for almost 15 years, she's also newly married. If, you know, something were to happen and I wasn't on the planet tomorrow, I'd be perfectly, you know, pleased with my life. Getting to this place was a journey for Jerry, who suffered years of sexual abuse as a little girl. In an effort to cope with the trauma, she turned to drugs and alcohol, her heroin addiction spiraling to the point she weighed just 97 pounds. The abuse was so significant. I would basically do any substance that I could find and get or was on the table or around or what everybody else was using. Um, and I used to what I call oblivion. The turning point? When Jerry's mother asked her daughter who she wanted at her funeral. Sores all over my face, gray skin, no will to live. You know, by the time they did my intervention, I don't think I'd eaten in about two weeks. Jerry entered rehab, sticking with it through a cancer diagnosis. She went back to school, completing a bachelor's degree, then a master's in criminal justice. Today, the 49-year-old counsels others in recovery. I think it's profound. I think it's really... Um what I was meant to do. Like, I survived some pretty terrible things in my lifetime. You know, if I look at some of my First Nations spiritual teachings, and really, you know, the connection between all of us as beings is really to help one another. This Courage to Come Back recipient dedicated to helping others as she continues her own recovery. And I'm quite certain that if I was to pick up drugs or alcohol again, I wouldn't have that in my life. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And tomorrow night, we'll meet Taylin McGill, the recipient in the youth category. At just 10 days old, she was diagnosed with life-threatening bacterial meningitis. 
which led to 14 brain surgeries. Now thriving, she's a huge fundraiser for BC Children's Hospital. That's tomorrow. He's got a tire iron. Bystanders jump in to help rescue a Philadelphia woman whose car ended up in a river, all of it caught on video. The Good Samaritan swam out to the sinking SUV, breaking open the back window to free the woman. A group of rowers then appeared with life jackets. The woman was conscious and taken to hospital. At least one rescuer suffered minor cuts, but there were no serious injuries. A vigil is about to get underway in Surrey tonight. Live pictures now from Holland Park, where people are gathering to remember the 290 people who died in a series of explosions Sunday in Sri Lanka. The event, one of a number of vigils being held across the country. In Sri Lanka today, a leftover bomb went off outside one of the churches that was attacked as army experts tried to defuse it. Thankfully, no one was hurt. The military has been given sweeping powers in the wake of the attack on churches and luxury hotels. Meantime, critics of the government are asking why nothing was done to protect churches when the country's security agencies had apparently received advanced information about possible attacks by the radical Muslim group believed to be responsible. Some new trouble today for the beleaguered Boeing Corporation tonight as the company works to get its 737 MAX jets back in the air after two deadly crashes. A new report is calling into question one of the plants that builds the Boeing 787 Dreamliner and whether it puts production ahead of safety. Boeing is still battling to get its 737 MAX fixed and back in the air after two deadly accidents. Now the company is under fire over a different plane, the 787 Dreamliner. A New York Times investigation stated Boeing pushed its workforce to quickly turn out Dreamliners, at times ignoring issues raised by employees. The paper reviewed hundreds of documents and interviewed more than a dozen employees. The complaints all out of Boeing's plant in South Carolina. The company pushed back strongly. The article, it says, paints a skewed and inaccurate picture of the program and our team. John Barnett, who retired in 2017 after working as a safety manager for more than 30 years, claims he was retaliated against when he raised production issues internally. From day one, it's just all been about schedule and hurry up and just get it done, push the planes out, we're behind schedule. You know, we don't have time to, to worry about issues that y'all bring up. His chief concern, foreign objects being left behind in the 787 during production, including metal shavings from the installation of this nut, which he worries could start a fire. And the last thing you want at 40,000 feet of fire. The FAA ordered the removal of the shavings in 2017. While Boeing tells NBC it is working with its supplier to redesign the nut responsible for the debris, some experts downplay the potential safety concern. I am not aware of any civil airliner having an accident as a result of debris being left inside the aircraft due to maintenance or manufacture. American Airlines says that it still has confidence in the plane and is ordering more. In a letter to employees, Boeing's president, Kevin McAllister, writes, safety and quality are at the core of Boeing's values. There is nothing more important than that. And it's important to point out that there are more than 800 787 Dreamliners used by airlines around the world right now, and there has never been a crash involving one of those jets. The family of a Nova Scotia man is confirmed that he was killed in Mexico over the weekend. 70-year-old Bruce Allen of Dartmouth 
was found with several stab wounds to his chest and neck at his home in the city of Progreso. Allen and his partner had been spending winters in Mexico and were due to return to Canada next week. An unconfirmed social media post says he was the victim of a thwarted robbery. One person has been arrested. Tesla's shares fell today after video surfaced that appears to show the spontaneous combustion of one of its Model S cars. The surveillance video in a Shanghai parkade shows the car beginning to smoke and then bursting into flames. No one was hurt, but at least two other cars were destroyed before the fire was put out. Tesla says it has sent a team to investigate the fire. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be featured on this weekend's episode of The Simpsons, sort of. Uh, we uh, always uh, have a uh, uh, ongoing uh, conversation uh, with the. Uh, Back in 2017, uh, Toronto journalist Lucas Meyer posted his impersonation of Trudeau on YouTube. That got the attention of Simpsons producers, and today Mayor tweeted, I caramba, I will be a guest voice on The Simpsons this Sunday as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The episode is entitled No Canada. And we'll have the Simpsons taking a trip to Niagara Falls and Lisa being mistakenly given political asylum in Canada. It's tough to get that dough quite right. Okay, some royal baby news tonight. And no, not what you're thinking. As the world waits for the arrival of Harry and Meghan's first, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, William and Kate, have released new pictures of their youngest royal on his first birthday. Three pictures of Prince Louis, all taken by his mother on the grounds of the family's home. The fifth in line to the throne shows that if all he wanted for Christmas was his two front teeth, he got his wish. Cute kid. In Health Matters tonight, the joy of starting a family isn't a possibility for many people, but as Canadian Infertility Awareness Week begins, doctors are sending the message that there is hope. And as Jennifer Palmer reports, they're asking, asking for help is a good first step. How's your um, podcast going? Good. For Geneviève Kyle Lefebvre, having children is a dream come true. Yeah, but it wasn't easy conceiving. She and her husband tried for two years. Finally, they decided they needed help. Got married and after trying for a little bit. And after we decided, because I was already 39-year-old, then we should at least freeze eggs. The couple went to Genesis Fertility Center and began treatment. One of the hardest thing is when you wait to see that positive. Infertility rates are on the rise in Canada. About one in six couples experiences infertility. The reasons vary, but with improved fertility treatments, success rates are between 70 to 80 percent. There are various treatments available to those who are having trouble conceiving. As people age, the primary obstacle is usually egg age. But even as people age, very often, depending on their ovarian reserve, if they can persist with treatment or are open to options that may be available to them, may not be the first option that they thought of, but there usually is a solution. Alex, you have to sit right now. For Genevieve, the process was successful. They have two children, two-and-a-half-year-old Alex and 10-month-old Nathan, but it was a stressful time. Find someone maybe that have done it or if you know someone that have done it, to have at least one person supporting you morally. So what's next for Genevieve? There's talk of a third. Well, it's a miracle. Like IVF and all the fertility uh, service or what's available out there, like, without this, a lot of people wouldn't have children today. Jennifer Palma, Global News.
Today is Earth Day 2019 with a theme of protecting our species. That species plural, as in across the planet, because as Linda Aylesworth reports, it's a goal our species in particular is failing to achieve, including right here in B.C. As many as 30 million species call this planet home, but none wields the power that the human species does. It's a responsibility we're not living up to. There have been asteroids in the past that have caused mass extinctions. There's never been a single species causing so much decline in so many species. Most scientists, Dr. Sally Otto included, agree that we're in the midst of a sixth mass extinction, with one in six species, large and small. This is Bear's hair streak butterfly. At risk of being lost forever. Most of the declines have been caused by habitat destruction and alteration. In BC, 200 species are teetering on the brink with little to protect them from falling into the abyss. In this province there is no law to protect species at risk. There's a federal law, Sarah, but it only applies to the one percent of the province that's on federal land. For decades there have been calls for a law that would protect BC species at risk. Not long ago the Premier gave conservationists reason to hope, but then... Premier Horgan seemed to be stepping away, though, this week from an Endangered Species Act and said that there was no act in the foreseeable future. Such an act would regulate where development and harvesting of natural resources took place. To make sure that we do it in places that won't cause species to decline to the point where they're at the brink of extinction. It would not only protect this province's enviable biodiversity, but its thriving ecotourism industry is we have some of the only remaining wilderness left in this world. One third of the wilderness left in this planet is in Canada, and they're coming to see it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Uh, the theme continues with a series of selfies taken in Central Africa going viral, shared millions of times, the reason they're a sensation, and the Earth Day message behind them coming up right after the forecast with Yvonne Shell, who's in for Christy tonight, and uh, yeah, just through a long weekend, and hopefully the sunshine comes back, Yvonne. It will. We will see uh, more sunshine in our long-range forecast, but today the silver lining is is the wettest out of the bunch. We are seeing dry conditions right now, but hanging on to that cloud cover out of the airport at 10, de 10 degrees, and today's high was closer to 13 uh, well below the average. Here's what we're still tracking, a few isolated showers. It'll be fairly light, similar across the island, and this takes us into the morning hours, so we'll still see cloud cover for the morning, a chance of showers, and then by the afternoon, I anticipate drier conditions, and we're hoping to see some sunshine making a return, and then we'll see uh, that leading in towards our Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's the plan so far. Along the northern half of the province, still very wet and windy tomorrow. Inland regions, areas near Smithers, we'll see some breaks. The peace tomorrow, a dry one, but the winds will pick up with the potential to see gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Much of the central half of the province, it's partly cloudy sky, still seeing a chance of showers for the afternoon for the southern half, but not much in terms of precipitation. And areas near Whistler will see a chance of showers for the morning and then much drier come the afternoon. So cloud cover right across the south coast for the morning with a chance of showers. It'll start to ease off though, that system dissipating, bringing us the return for some sunshine. A weak ridge is going to start to build in and it's Wednesday Thursday, Friday looking fantastic. Highs anywhere between 14 and 15 degrees. We may see a few clouds in the mix for Saturday. Tomorrow, still a chance of showers and then much drier after that. Tonight's weather window, a beautiful shot that was taken over the weekend from English Bay from Al. Chris? Well, wow, that's a great shot. Okay, thanks very much, Yvonne.
A series of selfies taken by park rangers in the Democratic Republic of Congo in South Africa is taking the internet by storm with a serious message behind them. Rangers in the Virunga National Park posted these remarkable selfies with the gorillas they protect from poachers. The latest one, two gorillas standing upright, posing for the camera titled, Another Day at the Office. Many of the animals were orphaned by poachers and essentially raised by the rangers. But behind these whimsical pictures is a sobering fact. The rangers literally risked their lives to protect the gorillas. Over the years, hundreds of rangers have died, either killed by poachers or other wild animals. But their work is finally paying off. A mini baby boom last year has changed the gorilla status from critically endangered to endangered for the first time since 1994. Well done by all of those rangers. And thanks for sharing the photos. Everybody got a kick out of those. What if there's a point where, like, do the gorillas want to see the photos? Uh, no, 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 not that one. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if they've ever shown them in, I in what I have my eyes closed. It's not yeah, my yeah. best side. Yeah. yeah, better lighting needed. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> they don't obsess like we do, I'm betting. It's going to be some good hockey tomorrow night. It will be. I would bet. Remember how the Canuck fans used to hate facing the Chicago Blackhawks? The Bruins have, the Leafs fans have the same feeling about Boston. Uh, and tomorrow, the Maple Leafs and the Bruins will play Game 7 in Boston, just like they did last year and in 2013. And when the Leafs look in their rearview mirror, what they see is the wreckage of their own playoff dreams caused by getting sideswiped by Boston. The last time Toronto beat the Bruins in a playoff series, I think, was 1959. Try as they might, Toronto couldn't push Boston out of the playoffs before a Game 7, which to the Leafs is a bit of a nightmare scenario because in the last two Game 7s against Boston, the Bruins have conjured up some sort of magical powers. In 2013, Boston was behind 4-1 in the third period, but they tied the game and won it in overtime. And then last year, another third period collapse turned a 4-4 game into 6-4. But the Leafs feel that loss might be able to exercise whatever demons Boston has over them. You know, we're a year older. We got uh, a year under us of, you know, that disappointing feeling of last year, and uh, we don't want that again. But the Bruins, of course, have more Game 7 experience as well because of last year. At the end of the day, it's, it's about playing a, a good, sound hockey game that's right in front of you. And, um, you know, we had 82 plus the, the six in playoffs. And, you know, you try to treat it like another game just so that, um, you know, you play to your capabilities and to your potential. But uh, there's something obviously special about a Game 7. That's why fans love watching it. That's why players love playing in them. Yes, you kind of forget there was a time when the Carolina Hurricanes were the Stanley Cup champions way back in 2006. Whoa, Ovechkin's missing hits. That's not making him happy. All right, but this will make him happy. Prince George's Brett Conley scoring first. If Washington wins this game, they're into round number two. If they don't, they have game seven at home. So it's 1-0. Then Warren Fogle, who's been a real thorn in the Capitals' side, scores here to tie at 1-1. We saw Ovechkin miss a check, but he's not going to miss this shot. In it goes. 2-1 for Washington. Then, Toivo Teravainen, and this goal seemed to start a hurricane for Carolina because they have blown Washington out 
and they will force a Game 7 in this series. It's a homer series, all the home teams winning. On Saturday, the UBC Thunderbirds baseball team did something they hadn't done in almost 10 years. They no-hit an opponent. The man on the mound, Niall Windler, baffled Oregon Tech with 102 pitches and also with a little help from his friend standing behind him. I still can't believe it really. It feels like it was, you always feel like you're, oh, you're always going to get there and then one out of way you're going to lose it, right? So getting it, it felt amazing. Congratulations on a no-hitter. Niall Windler making UBC baseball history by tossing the T-Birds first solo nine-inning no-hitter. The big lefty striking out 10 batters and didn't give up a single walk, losing his bid for a perfect game on a sixth-inning throwing error but his best stuff came prior to taking to the mound when he made a uniform change. It's funny, actually, I borrowed one of my teammates' pants. I'd always gone high socks, and I was like, I felt like mixing it up. And, uh, yeah, it worked, but uh, overall, I think I just had my good stuff, and that, that was more of the main reason, but he likes to take credit for it. So, what, you went long pants? No, no high socks? Yeah, no high socks, long pants this time, so... Shout out to Declan for that. I know he... You don't really go into the game saying, hey, let's not give up a hit today, but when you get into the later innings and you look up on the scoreboard and you see that they're still uh, with the goose egg in the hit column, you know it starts to get pretty exciting. Having a catcher who's studying towards a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology helped Windler through every one of his 106 no-hit pitches. It's a strong battery for UBC as they gear up for the playoffs. I kind of saw that he was getting, you know, a little bit excited, obviously, at some moments, right? But he was able to take a deep breath on the mound, kind of relax, right? He knew that he'd have to keep calm in order to keep it going. I got the first out of the ninth, and then it really just all hit me like, okay, this is going to happen. I was like, this is, there's, it's not going to go away now. I've got it, and I felt, I felt that confidence. I want to show you a bizarre double play yesterday. Blue Jays ace. So this looks like it's going to be a home run. Ramon Lariano pulls it back. Now, going to first base. Smoke is caught off, but he's okay. But the ball is thrown away. But then the ball is picked up and thrown to second. And there it is. There is a bizarro double play. But the best part about it was this. Lariano's catch. Just pulling a home run back and then starting First of all, the one of the weirdest double plays you will ever see. That's a great catch. How do you score that? Eight, eight, two, six? Because it was a catcher? Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, I yeah. Know how That's you, right. How if you're it. scoring at home. Yeah, if you're scoring at home. Thanks very much, Squire. So two episodes into the final season of The Biggest Show on Television, Game of Thrones fans are burning up the internet with chatter about what's going to happen next. But a lot of fans might not know about the strong BC connection to that epic series. Catherine Urquhart paid a visit to the Vancouver artists who are behind the show's firepower. Spectacular visual effects are a key element in making Game of Thrones the most watched television show today. An average 31 million viewers are tuning in to its eighth and final season. It's hard to think about it in that way until you realize uh, basically the entire world is waiting to see what's going to happen. Many of the most dramatic scenes have been created in Vancouver, at Image Engine, the animated sequences of dragons requiring countless details. A lot of the work that we do on the dragon is all based in reality. We, we find a huge amount of 
of uh, reference from like bats, birds, eagles, anything that's like big and heavy. And the dragon work is significant and it's a proud moment to see it all come together because it's so, it is so technically challenging. Approximately 100 employees at Image Engine have worked on the HBO show, which costs up to $15 million per episode. The epic series further solidifying Vancouver's place in show business. Vancouver is the central hub for all visual effects right now. The industry's absolutely landed here. It's not potential, it is here. Every studio working on every major film is being done out of Vancouver. With only a few episodes left to air, millions of fans are eagerly anticipating those final scenes. Scenes being tightly guarded at Vancouver's Image Engine. I can't wait for the season to be on the air so I can just release the information from my head. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. <laughs> How cathartic that would be. <laughs> okay, today's uh, correction from Squire Barnes. I won this. I said the game seven last year between the Bruins and Leafs was 6-4. Actually, the Bruins added one more, 7-4. So for Leaf fans, sorry, I just rubbed more salt in your wound. That's okay. But I you could won. exercise all of that tomorrow night. They could. And I have one, too. The Democratic Republic of Congo, of course, is in Africa, not South Africa. Thank you for watching, and have a wonderful evening. But you are perfect. No, no. Actually, Yvonne, as usual. Is improving. Oh, that's good.